0: Welcome in to Football and Other F-Words, morning edition, NPR edition. My name is Zach Lyons, and I'm going to be calm like this the whole episode. Because nothing happened in the last 24 hours, did it, Mike? It was all just all just chilling, and you know everybody expected nothing to happen. And everything happened. And I think it was great to get it all out of the way. I, I was stunned. And we'll get to all the comments and everything. I was stunned by everything that came out as far as the words being said. So that's our main thing the Mike Vrabel and Amy Adam Strunk talked, but did you listen? And if you're joining us and you're a Broadway insider and you're joining us, which I probably have to get in here real quick because the post got all screwed up. Let me do something here. The post got all screwed up earlier in the day because you're, you and your time changes and your child that is ruining everything in my life. um, the uh, started new daycare today, and that screwed everything up. And so the uh, articles are being a little tricky. So let me get this out here real quick.
1: Just uh, you know, that's what children are. They are they are just day exploders. You never know when it's going to come, um, but inevitably one of your days is just going to be exploded on an almost weekly basis.
0: All right, I tweeted it out, so now people should be coming in and everything. Uh, it didn't automatically go out, so. If you're joining us, as you pile in here, we'll take your questions and your answers. But while this show may be an afterthought because of Mike's child, he has us as an afterthought. You know who's not an afterthought, Mike? Our sponsors, Jaspers. They're not an afterthought. In fact, they're at the forefront of everybody's mind. They are indeed, indeed, the next evolution of Sports Bar. They have everything that you want, and I get it. Football season is effectively over for Tennessee Titans. But if you need to go watch a place to go watch football games or if you said, hey, I was not miserable enough in 2022 and 2020 in the beginning of 2023, I need to watch more bad sports teams. Go watch the Predators play. They are a great place. A Predators bar, if you will, to go watch the Predators, you know, just, you know, just be terrible more, more, uh, more likely than not. Uh, so, go to go to Jasper's, two for one on Sundays. They have game nights. They have all kinds of stuff Friends. for you. Screens everywhere.
1: Friends are on a winning streak, though. They're, yeah, they're, they're I mean,
0: we, hey, Titans were on a winning streak, too. Spare me these <laughs> winning streaks. All right, Mike. I, we don't really want to talk about the game, but let's just do a quick recap. The defense uh, game plan was stupid, no pass rush whatsoever. So, the defense that you really need to to help mitigate the disaster that was Josh Dobbs in the second half, just really didn't show up. Now, I get it, the, the points and everything were, were way down low, but really, that was because Trevor Lawrence, the elite savior, the next quarterback of this generation, the next Peyton Manning, whatever bullshit people put on him during this uh, Jaguars win streak that they've had, who only threw one touchdown in the last three games, including that game. Missed a bunch of open throws. He was he was terrible for the most part. So defense lets you down a little bit. No pass rush. But Josh Dobbs, oh my gosh, the first half tweets about Josh Dobbs. He's the next quarterback. Everybody going crazy. And um, there's a guy in it for the kicks uh, on Twitter. And he said, I think we need to settle down about this Josh Dobbs. And 17's probably still going to be around. And I said, just waiting for him to turn into a Mike White, Pumpkin, right? Because Mike White was always destined to be bad because Mike White is a bad quarterback. Not necessarily that Josh Dobbs is a bad quarterback, but he turned into a pumpkin at the worst possible time, specifically the fumble. Your thoughts, not necessarily on whether it's a fumble or not, but your thoughts on just that play and what Josh Dobbs failed to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing was ball security with him. And I like this is literally exactly what I wrote about on uh, com last week was. Dobbs played well. Um he should have been the starter. He was better than Malik Willis. The offense moved was ran uh efficiently with him. He made some plays, but ball security was an issue. It was an issue against Cowboys uh and it, it popped up again in the second half of this game with you know the the arm pun interception uh to Burks which you know I I don't know if his arm was hit or what happened there, but Burks was was open deep. I mean there's so many and then, of course, like the turnover then ended in the season, basically. It, there are so many little bitty, like, uh, just, you know, tiny things that could have gone a different way that would have won the Titans this game, which is crazy, uh, considering, you know, this was in Jacksonville, this this was a Jags team that was as fired up as, you know, you could possibly be uh, for this game versus a Titans team that just would came limping in with a quarterback off the street um, it's so close but it, I do think I do think that was an incomplete pass I don't think it's a fumble you'll never convince me that his hand was not moving forward when he lost control I
0: didn't ask I didn't ask no we're not talking about it because you're wrong but so we're not talking about it so we're gonna move on to the fourth down play That was utterly ridiculous for a fucking rocket scientist. Even I mean, I'm not even a rocket scientist. I don't even play quarterback in the NFL. But fourth down, you're checking it down ten yards short of the stick. Are you a fucking idiot? (laughs) Like that is horrible.
1: Uh, Yeah, it was terrible. Like I could not believe. Like literally, could not believe because the once they started using the timeouts, which I'm not totally sure they should have used the timeouts where they did. Um, they were kind of in a bad spot either way, but the three timeouts always allows you to force a three and out and get the ball back for like one more try uh, without the the opposing team being able to run more than like you know 15 seconds off the clock basically. Um, so I kind of thought maybe they'll hold on to the timeouts and if this drive needs to you know be reset, they, they'll just punt it and try to get the three and out and go again. But once they used that first time out, they were basically locked into that drive. And I, I could not believe on fourth down and what was it, 12 or something like that, that he throws short of the sticks. it was the
0: sticks. 15, I feel it like. Was, it, it was, a, was bad it was a, enough wall. when
1: he threw the check down. I mean, he really didn't have a choice because uh, he was under pressure, but he threw the no, check down. No, he down. was
0: protected on that play. To Haskins? N- no, well, the the fourth down play call the
1: third well, I
0: was, I'm talking about oh, the, third the down. one before he, that he throws oh.
1: the third down check down to Haskins which I already thought you know god can you not find something a little bit more down the field than that I mean I would have rather taken two shots to trail on Burks to try to you know draw a pass interference or just have you know Burks go make a, a 50-50 play I would have rather taken two shots at that than take the check down that got you like four yards uh and then having a fourth and long where you you know had everything all right on it but yeah, the throwing short of the short of the sticks, just a monumentally stupid decision um from a really smart guy. So unfortunate. Yeah, that,
0: was, that was gonna be the Josh Jobs experience. It, I think people get got a little over uh head over heels, which is, you know, it's UT fan base, what he do you was, expect? He was
1: great in the first half. Like he really was. Yeah. He was really good in the first half. Um, but I mean, again, like he's not a he's a guy that's barely played football in six years, so.
0: The I, I I guess here's where I stand on this. I think Dobbs should be looked at as the quarterback to or the early front runner to be quarterback to behind Ryan Tannehill. But you still need to upgrade the quarterback to position to someone who can actually win you a game. If he has to go in, he's now lost two games, and now the first one is is just you're outmatched. But this one firmly in hand, he put he made three. Bad decisions. The he can't or two bad decisions, and he can't for the life of him throw that ball to Traylon Burks deep. Is crazy. Is just crazy to me. I mean, Burks was wide open. So while he can run the offense to a certain degree, you still need to upgrade that quarterback too. Depending on what Malik Willis does in the offseason, who the offensive coordinator is, maybe it could be Malik Willis and Josh Dobbs only battling out. In best case scenario, Malik Willis beats him. But I still think you need to bring in someone other than like Kevin Hogan or Logan Woodside to come in for this quarterback two spot,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't know i I, I think I think Dobbs is better than Logan Woodside, right? Yeah, um so I think they've at least moved in somewhat of a right direction. Um, and look, also, we've bitched all year about the sporting cast, and he, Dobbs had a, an atrocious supporting cast for both of these games, uh, particularly on the offensive line where, you know, they're starting Jordan Roos, they're starting Corey Levin, uh, you know, Dennis Daly's corpse is still out there. It's just like I mean, a disastrous offensive line, which is remains the root of their their issues, I think. But could they do better as at backup quarterback? Sure. Um, but I don't I don't know that it's a bad thing if they go into next season with Dobbs and Malik competing.
0: The, uh, so let's talk about next season because Amy Adams drunk and Mike Vrabel just took big old press dumps all over John Robinson, pretty much. I mean, say what you want, if you want to, uh, cause there are the John Robinson truthers that are still out there that say that, well, what Amy Adams said is just a puff piece and it doesn't really matter. Let me tell you something. She says the word collaborator or collab in in four different times. Yeah. That should let you know that if John Robinson did these things, if John Robinson was all of these things that she lists, that she's looking for an innovator and someone that is uh, open to innovation and evaluating talent beyond the traditional avenue, someone who's a collaborator, he'd still have his fucking job. But he's not those things. It's pretty obvious that he's not those things in – we'll we'll get to Mike Vrabel's press conference but Mike Vrabel went into like some extreme detail about the analytics that they use during practice and during games and again and he mentioned stuff about collaboration which is the same two things there's a clear message here that they're talking about John Robinson without talking about John Robinson so what did you take away from her comments as a whole and what did you think? Because I think, obviously, exceptional talent evaluator, exceptional at roster building, someone's an excellent decision maker. Well, duh, that's what you want every GM to be. But sure. I think the more nuanced answer about the traditional avenues for innovation and re- evaluating and the collaboration is is massive.
1: Yeah, I think the collaboration comments are certainly part of what jumped out to me, but to me, like the biggest thing that jumped out uh, of this whole thing was, I mean, she gave us what the structure is going to be, right. That it, Mike Vrabel, she said, Mike Vrabel and this new GM will report directly to me, which is different because Mike Vrabel Vrabel was under John Robinson previously. Um, So it is now going to be more of a head coach and GM combination um, as far as like the top decision making in, in the Titans organization. I think we all expected that. I think that's all kind of I mean, there there were reports within minutes of John Robinson's firing of Mike Vrabel was going to get more control, and and hey, here it is. Um, but I think that tells you what the structure is going to be, and I think that's probably the most that, that's the thing I could take the most out of this. I mean, and and once you know the structure, they're definitely gonna have to collaborate because they're basically peers at that point. It's going to be Mike Vrabel and this new GM making decisions together. Um, And when it comes to personnel, I'm sure, you know, the the new GM likely is going to have control of the draft and free agency and all all this other stuff. But I would imagine Mike Vrabel either gets control of the 53-man roster as far as like final cuts or at least is given a big say in the kind of players that they're bringing in. I mean, even in the draft, you know, I would imagine Vrabel gets not necessarily veto power, um, but you know, like Amy, Adam Strong is saying that she wants them to collaborate and be on the same page. And I, I always thought that Brable and Robinson were largely on the same page, but maybe they weren't like, you know, and the, the comments coming out of Brable's presser suggest that maybe they it weren't sound like they on were on the same page.
0: Yeah. It doesn't sound like they were on what they're looking for in terms of the, the players and everything. And we'll get to that in a second. You know, I want to touch on this innovation and evaluate talent beyond the traditional avenues. And this will lead us into um, the GM candidates themselves, because I think a lot of these guys do fall under that the analytics approach. And I said when John Robinson was fired and the joke was made, well, they're just not going to use analytics. And I said that hold up now. I think John, I think Mike Vrabel is open to using analytics, but we have we've seen him kind of dismiss it. But he doesn't like the general questions because what you saw in his presser is like, "Tell me where you want me to tell you about analytics, and I'll tell you how we use it in a certain situation." Then he dove right. into, it, and you can get him to shut the fuck up, which was great. Great to see. Great to hear. On the flip side, John Robinson has specifically said, "I am the analytics department. I." You know, I believe in how football's been played since the 1970s, and this this has worked since then, and always has worked, and it will continue to work. And he's also said, you know, that he doesn't even change up for a fucking disaster, a pandemic. His own approach to the draft. Now he regrets that, but nothing has changed in his approach. He's a traditionalist. He's a traditionalist as a general manager. He has basically admitted it. So it's awesome to see. That that's she's looking for the opposite of that, and Vrabel coincides with that. Vrabel is like, I use analytics all the time on the field.
1: And and always, I think that's been Vrabel's consistent answer when the analytics thing has been brought up is that yes, we do use analytics. You know, and what analytics looks like and how it's employed by various teams can be wildly different. I mean, I, I think every team uses analytics to some degree because, like, you're looking you know, and Braybill's made this point before, you're looking at tendencies and that's part of coaching. Like part of coaching is you're looking for what is their run rate on third and, you know, three or less? What, you know, what do we need to look, where do they break as far as like, this is definitely going to be a pass, things like that. And different teams are different. So they use charting and things like that to provide numbers for that. That That is analytics. Um, It's not like the most advanced version of an- analytics, but it is analytics. Um, And it does seem like Vrabel is open to it. I know he gets this reputation as like a caveman because he's this big, you know, strong former player who's got this kind of gruff. Uh, people are body shaming persona. him, and and people—he's yeah, yeah, people, a
0: big caveman, and people are body shaming him. It's people people lump him
1: into this like, oh, he's a meathead caveman, all this stuff. But anybody who has ever talked about Mike Vrabel has always talked about how smart he is and how intelligent he is, and and uh, you know, all these different things. I'm not sure I'm, I don't think the Titans are on the cutting edge of any of this stuff. Um, and I think that should be an emphasis for Amy Adams strong. And, and it doesn't have to be something that Mike Vrabel is necessarily like desperately begging for, but I think the new GM needs to be able to present him with this information and say, here is, here is information. You use it how you choose, but I'm going to give you a department that will give you additional information about your players, about your scheme, about what teams around the league are doing, and you can use it to your advantage. And I think Vrabel would be open to that. I I certainly don't think Vrabel is going to say, oh, no, I'm not going to look at this information because it's, you know, generated by a computer. I I don't think he's that kind of meathead. I, I think he's intelligent. Um, and, and I think he's certainly willing to listen to other ideas um, and collaborate. So, yeah, I, I am encouraged by the fact that it sounds like Vrabel's open to that. That I, I desperately hope Amy Adam Strunk goes with somebody who's a little bit more forward thinking than John Robinson. Because while I, I think John Robinson did a good job that was always one of our pet peeves with him in his front office. And if you listen to Kevin Clark interviews or, you know, talk about sometimes that he's talked to, to Josh, John Robinson in the past, Kevin Clark uh, from the ringer, you know, constantly talks about John Robinson and like, you know, he's just kind of this good old boy, like talks, wants to talk about his hunting dogs and all this stuff, um, you know, and has no interest whatsoever in analytics. Like he always would say, you know, John Robinson is just, just, is not in that mold. Um, I hope they go in a different direction there because I do think that's the way the NFL is going.
0: I, I think they are. I don't think they're hiring any of the internal candidates. I think they're just kind of doing them a favor by publicly saying that they're going to interview them for the job to kind of help them get other jobs and maybe other opportunities, kind of like a PR move for a behind the scenes PR move. Because if you look at the list, because this is what was great about Amy Adams Trump, because, you know, this article comes out and I'm fighting with John Robinson, you know, enthusiasts who think that he does no wrong and everything and that Amy Adams Strunk is stuck in the past. And the, this, no, nobody is going to be hired externally. They're not even, I even had someone say they weren't even going to interview anyone externally, which I thought was just the most asinine thing to ever say. And sure enough, like I'm in the middle of this argument, not like four minutes into this argument, they say that they're interviewing Rand Carthon and um, Adam Peters. And I'm saying, there you go. There you go. There's you two in external candidates. And they just kept pouring in. We're talking Rand Carthen, Adam Peters, Quentin Harris, Malik Boyd, Glenn Cook, Ian Cunningham, all coming in. And the, the five of those are minority candidates that she's already talked to because I said they released in December the list of front office minority candidates that were going to be sent from teams to go down with the owners to the owners meeting in December. They also did one in May, but those specifically the one in December is after John Robinson got fired. And I said, Amy Adams Strunk is going to get a leg up on interviewing some candidates. And sure enough, five of the candidates, Rand Carthen, Quentin Harris, Malik Boyd, Glenn, Glenn Cook, Ian Cunningham, were all there. And Malik Boyd was the only one that wasn't there in May. The rest of the four were there in May. So she, knows, she's already started. And she even said specifically, we started about four weeks ago, which is exactly when that owner's meeting was. And she's bringing in these guys because she was thoroughly impressed with what they do, with what they said, with how they carried themselves inside the owners' meetings because they job shadowed and went into these meetings with that are normally for owners, general managers, and assistant general managers. And really, nobody else goes in those meetings you know, from the team. So that was their first experience. In fact, the Buffalo News had an interview with uh, Terrence Gray, and Malik Boyd, who Malik Boyd is the one that's being interviewed for this GM position here at the Tennessee Titans, and they talked about how great it was. It was a great experience. It really works to get you get your name out there and talking to people and networking, and it was cool to be in the meetings. So I say all that to come back to what she said she has put into action. She has brought innovative minds. Specifically, you can't get probably more – analytics for than glenn cook from the cleveland browns in fact you go yeah let me say this when you're when you're talking about offensive coordinators and gm candidates you need to go to reddit and you need to go to the team that they're coming from their reddit page and you're going to find a lot of information and when i went to the cleveland browns and we'll start off with glenn cook when i went to the cleveland browns reddit they specifically said, wow, can't believe Tennessee is actually going to go full on analytics because that is what Glenn cook is.
1: I mean, that is, and that's one of the themes too, I think. Um, So if you look, Glenn cook comes from the Browns, which is one of the more forward looking uh, analytics departments in football or analytics front offices in football. Um, And you also look at like Ian Cunningham uh from the Bears who is one of my favorite candidates cut his teeth under Ozzie Newsome um and look it, this is a pet peeve of mine people will see oh he's from the Bears he must suck cuz the Bears suck no he's been there for what a, a year two years uh now at this point um he came up under Ozzie Newsome was you know kind of mentored by Ozzie uh in the Ravens front office and then came over when Ryan Poles was hired for the Bears. Ryan Poles also, you know, more of an analytics, forward-thinking general manager. We'll see how he ends up building the Bears, right? Like, that that's still yet to be seen. The proof of of that front office has not been, you know, finalized yet. They've got a long way to go, obviously. But um, I think, you know, Ian Cunningham, you know, Malik Boyd from the Bills. The Bills are obviously a very successful organization. They do use analytics as well there. Um, And the 49ers. I mean, the 49ers, one of the best organizations in football right now. So the only outlier to me here is like Quentin Harris, which I've heard, you know, he's highly thought of around the league and things like that. But as far as, you know, being in the organization, he's been with the Cardinals for a long time. I, you know, Steve Kime is not the front office I would want to model here in Tennessee. So that would be my least favorite pick right now.
0: Yeah, I think, I think I'm with you. I had Quentin Harris up at the top because I think I, I had heard what you heard that the people in the media have said that him and Adrian Wilson are really good next-generation candidates for general manager. But you go to the Arizona Cardinals message boards and Reddit, they specifically say, quit hiring from inside the building. These guys are have only learned under Steve Kime, and that's their only experience in the NFL is with the Arizona Cardinals. And Steve Kime is an idiot. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they're saying. Yeah. And I've always, you know, thought of Steve Kime as well respected, you know, but over the last few years, he's really trailed off. And do you really want to bring in a guy? Hiring Quentin Harrison, Adrian Wilson is basically hi- hiring Monty Austin, Fort, and Ryan Cowden to me at this point because. You're hiring just carbon copy clones of probably the previous GM that they were under, and you're probably not going to get a lot out of it, and I think the inexperience. So I, will, I am with you. I'm completely out on Quentin Harris at this point. I'm going to move him down actually a few tiers later on down the road when I do a, probably another tweet if anybody else comes in. But everything that I've researched on Quentin Harris is like, yeah, I am as far as all the external candidates, I'm out on him. I'm not as high on Ian Cunningham as you are just because I think I want a little bit more experience in the position that he's in, you know, before he comes over. So that narrows down for me, Glenn Cook, Rand Carthen, Adam Peters, and Malik Boyd. And I specifically want to dive into obviously San Francisco 49ers because I do like Malik Boyd. I do like Glenn Cook, but let's be honest, the prize of this Candidate list is one of the two guys from the San Francisco 49ers for the general public of our listeners and everything. And Adam Peters, oh boy, you want to talk about lighting a fan base on fire if he was hired away from the San Francisco 49ers? This fan base would be livid. The San Francisco 49ers would be carrying pitchforks and torches, demanding that, hey, don't sign the contract, Adam Peters. Don't go over to the Tennessee Titans or wherever he may go. Let's either get John Lynch in the booth somewhere and away from the team, or let's give John Lynch like a vice president CEO title and make Adam Peters GM. They would rather have Adam Peters as GM than John Lynch. That should tell you everything about him. Adam Peters has been has three Super Bowl rings with the Patriots and the Broncos. He is like solely, he's, When you talk about Von Miller, Chris Harris, and uh, Malik Jackson, a core group of defenders for the Denver Broncos on their Super Bowl run, he's the guy that everybody associates like those guys are on the team basically because of Adam Peters. George Kittle, there's a huge article up about George Kittle and about Adam Peters being the guy that basically said he's a third-round grade, but... Nobody else is going to have him as a third-round grade, so let's grab him in the fifth. Let's just risk it and grab him in the fifth. That was Adam Peters. And if you're a team like the Tennessee Titans who needs a franchise quarterback, a young franchise quarterback, it has not worked out for the San Francisco 49ers, but he was the biggest proponent inside the building of Trey Lance. Luckily, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were also in on Trey Lance. They kind of like kept their cards hidden. There's a story behind there that they didn't want to influence anybody's decision. But he's a big proponent and supporter of Trey Lance, and he traded up from pick 12 to pick three to get their guy because that was the guy, and he's like, we're all on the same page. Let's go get him. So he was involved in that. So you can't do really worse than Adam Peters. I mean, like, this is kind of everything that this team needs is wrapped up in Adam Peters.
1: I would agree with that. I, I think he's probably my favorite choice from a standpoint of he's got the most experience. He comes from a winning organization. And, and the thing for me with him is that he, he came over with uh, John Lynch, right? Or, or was he there before John Lynch?
0: I think he came with John Lynch. He came with John Lynch because I read about this because he's from Cupertino. So okay. this is going to be really hard to pull him away from where he's grown up and he's been a 49ers fan his whole life. So it's going to be a really hard to pull this off to get him. I'm like, you're going to have to, everything's going to have to go right for the Adam Peters to work. But I, he came over to John Lynch because he turned down, he turned down staying with the Broncos and learning to be, and being the GM and waiting at the Broncos just so he could be, in his hometown for his hometown team and have the and and learn from john lynch
1: and and here's the thing too i I, and from what i understand peters has more or less been the primary personnel guy for the 49ers in that you know john lynch obviously did not have a personnel background before he came to the niners he came from tv um obviously former player with a lot of connections and things like that which you know helped him land that job but Um, and he's done a good job managing, obviously, like you got to give John Lynch some credit, but from what I understand, Peters is kind of the main like scout on that side. Um, as far as like the front office goes. So Peters deserves a lot of credit for building what the 49ers are, And which to me, the 49ers are the more, most talented team in football, you know, outside of quarterback, which obviously like you set aside your, um, situation with, with fields or not fields uh with Trey Lance getting hurt um and the, it is what it is but the 40 he pounded liners, the
0: table for Brock Purdy basically yeah the later round guys he's been he's most connected with the later round guys in like the 4th and 5th round 6th round but he's yeah. done stuff in the earlier rounds but he pounded the table for Brock Purdy
1: yeah i mean this is this is a franchise that you know they drafted Brandon Nayuk they drafted uh Debo Samuel um, they have crushed the draft and uh, traded for Trent Williams.
0: Years. They go out and trade for players because they yeah, need them.
1: They're aggressive to get yeah. the guys in that they need. Um, And it, look, I, I think this, he is the best candidate to me. He's got a lot of experience. He is, I mean, he's pretty much ideal. I, I do think it's gonna be tough because there is, you know, even some consideration within the 49ers of like, do you just promote John Lynch to like, executive VP and have him be kind of like a face of the franchise or, or like, you know, Oh, you know, kind of glorified, uh, cheerleader and put Peters in as, as the real GM of the 49ers. Um, so I, I don't think they'll let him go without a fight and, and we'll see kind of how all that plays out, but it, he would be phenomenal for sure.
0: Yeah, and I like Rand Carthen, and it's going to sound bad the way I'm going to put it, but I like him as a consolation prize to Adam Peters. I've become an Adam Peters guy. was a Rand Carthen guy, but I've become an Adam Peters guy. Uh, I, I just think that pulling from San Francisco or Buffalo, I think, are my top choices just because those teams, these guys have been with those teams for the longest time and have picked up what works, what doesn't work, good traits. You know with with Cunningham, yeah, he does have the Ravens background, but the Ravens kind of failed to build around Lamar Jackson too. He,
1: but here's the thing. here's the thing. He left the Ravens uh, and went, went to the Eagles in I think it was 2017.
0: Oh, God, so he was with oh, he the got good Ravens stuff.
1: He got the Good Ravens stuff, then he went to the Eagles, got and, and that's the thing. like, if you're picking general managers to learn under. Like Ozzie Newsome plus mm. uh, um, Howie Roseman are like really, really high up there for me as far as just the best general managers in football. And Cunningham has that background. And the other thing, as uh, as long as I'm doing my sales pitch on Cunningham, the other thing I like about him, uh, and this is a negative for me in the box of Rand Carthon, and uh, there was one other one. I'm trying to remember who it was. What
0: was, it was it Malik was Boyd? There?
1: or maybe no it wasn't malik boyd it was uh who's the other one i think it's quentin harris oh yeah we're we're off of quentin harris yeah Um, this is
0: an anti-quentin harris podcast yeah Uh, so to
1: me this is a positive for ian cunningham in that he has been on both the pro scouting side and the college scouting side because Rand carthon has only been on the pro scouting side of things he has never been a college scout. And I think those are different roles. I do think those are different roles. Cause at the end of the day, like you're evaluating NFL players, but there's so much more projection and looking at like weird schemes in college. And like, how, how does this guy from North Dakota state, is he going to translate to the NFL level? Uh, when I have to correct you effort. on
0: Carthon because Carthon has been a pro scout and he's also a uh, director of player personnel after being pro personnel and he's responsible for evaluating the top college prospects and assisting in the construction of the pro free agency board and evaluation score in San Francisco.com.
1: When did, when did he move to that side?
0: Uh, two seasons ago. So the second season he's been on uh, the pro side. Now he spent as a pro scout from 2008 to 2011, four seasons. So he's got six seasons specifically on the college side.
1: Well, that's, but that wait, six, I Four seasons was,
0: as a pro scout, and two seasons as right. player personnel.
1: Okay, so player personnel, he may be
0: involved more on the. Yeah, college well, it says side right and here that, he is, and hey, that's that. what he is currently. He's currently player personnel.
1: Okay, well, and I, I take that back as far as a negative against him, but to me, like it is important to me that they have experience on both sides because you know, obviously, a general manager is going to have a scouting staff, um, but you're also running the scouting staff, so you you know, you're looking at you know, how much do we factor in measurables? How much do we factor in tape? How much do we factor in attitude, you know, coaching, you know, comments, you know, whatever. Um, There's a lot that goes into how you build out your scouting staff and what you're looking for and what you're saying is going to make a Titans football player for whoever the next GM is. And to me, I want somebody who's done that before on the college side. Because to me, like – Free agency is important. Uh, trading is important. All that stuff matters. But to me, like, the lifeblood of the organization is always the draft and getting guys in that fit, uh, getting guys in that become stars because you don't generally find stars in free agency. You, you And find, the Ravens
0: and 49ers are some of the best at doing
1: that. Right, uh, 100%. And, and to me, like, his background with the Ravens uh, and Cunningham's background with the Eagles as well because he was part of the – the Eagles franchise up until he got hired to the bears two years ago with Ryan poles. Um, so he was a big part of what built that uh, that offensive line in Philly with Jordan, the Jordan Milata pick and uh, Landon Dickerson and and guys like that, that have come in and uh, turned into really good players, as well as some of the guys on the defensive side of the ball, like uh, Josh sweat uh, who they absolutely stole late in that draft um, and, and guys like that. So to me, I love his background. I love who he's worked under, um, and really, I like everything I've read about him. So to me, my board is very clearly Peters Cunningham. Uh, you know, probably Boyd would be next for me, Malik Boyd from the Bills, and then I would drop down to uh, Rand Carthon, and then the rest.
0: I think I'm I'm Peters Carthon Cunningham boyd i may put boyd above cunningham but you kind of talked me into cunningham and then uh cook and then everybody else could just go kick rocks i want to get to some of the comments in the uh chat specifically this one uh, in reference to us talking about um uh adam peters why take the interview if you weren't serious about taking the position well you take the interview so you can get the better job at the place that you want the job it's you're essentially Using them, if you're not serious and you know you can leverage the Titans interviews to get the job that you want in San Francisco, you, you should definitely do it. Uh, I mean, that's just good personal business for him. And, uh, and also,
1: he hasn't accepted the interview yet, right? Yeah. They've just requested it, requested permission from the 49ers to right. interview him.
0: Uh, another one from Josh is they paid Debo too, which is true. Our the former Titans GM did not trade Debo or or pay AJ Brown, and that's essentially why he got fired. That was the final straw, of that whole situation. Um, and Amy says, Um, and keeping your homegrown stars, at least now we can keep Big Jeff. J. Rob would have traded him for a third, probably, you know, a little bit of speculation, but I kind of side with it. And then uh Amy also says, I like Peters the best as well, plus that benefits of prior relationship with the head coach. Let's get into talking about the head coach and comments galore. I don't know where you want to start. Uh, I think if we're talking about GMs, we know that, and we already brought it up, they obviously talked about a lack of collaboration is very important. And so alluding to a lack of collaboration with the general manager, which kind of plays into his comments about two things, injuries, and his comments about speed. And I think let's start with speed first. And he is desperate, desperate for speed on this team. He knows they're rarely, by his quote, his own quote. And this is what he said. Speed is a big priority uh, for the team this offseason. As Vrabel closed out today's 30-minute-plus presser with this. You want the fastest roster that you can have. You want to fast everybody. You want your D-line to be able to run. You want your corners to be able to run. Receivers. It's a fast game. So that's what you try and do all the time. Find as fast a player. At, uh, find as fast a players that can play football as possible. Fundamentally, he's looking for players that are physical because there is a degree of physicality that's required in this game at every level. Fundamentally sound, play with technique, and we'll get to those later because I think those are really big. But we have to get faster. We have to be a faster football team. Rarely are we the fastest team out there. Speed, 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 which is a good sign because of this team... John Robinson was like allergic to fast 40 time wide receivers.
1: He was. Yeah, yeah. It's and that's to me the biggest part of of Rabel's comments is he wants a faster team. Um, and they desperately need a faster team. Because he's right. Like there's just not there's not enough speed on the field. And you see it when when they play teams like uh, Jacksonville, um, who do have a lot of speed. And you just you can tell like they're it's just a slower team, um, and especially on offense that just cages you in so much and and like just not having the the players that can threaten a defense and put fear into them and force them out of playing certain looks like Tyreek Hill and we talk about it all the time with like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and all that stuff in Miami completely changes how teams can defend the dolphins. Like when those guys are on the field and they have a competent quarterback out there, of course, cause that's, that's been a problem for them. Um, it, it is so hard to defend because there are just certain things you cannot do against them. They know that they can scheme to take advantage of that. And it just puts a deep, puts the defense con- constantly on their heels. They are constantly worried about getting smoked deep, which opens up so many layups underneath um for Tyreek Hill and waddle and and frankly everyone else too so with the titans has been the exact opposite like there is zero fear whatsoever from a defense of getting beat deep so you can play up you can press you can you know play on your toes coming downhill on all this underneath stuff which just makes it that much harder for your receivers to get open makes it that much harder for your quarterback because he's constantly dealing with tight windows and a lot of route disruption um it's just like, I mean, it's totally different when you have speed on the field. And and I hope, you know, that this means, and I'm assuming that this does mean that the Titans will be targeting guys with speed in the draft and free agency coming up. Uh, means
0: the 40 is more important than ever for this team when you're looking at all this stuff. Absolutely. And
1: and even Vrabel's comment about, like, you know, and it was in that analytics answer, I think, when he was talking to Teron Davenport. Um you know, he he was saying, uh, you know, analytics, you know, I think we should throw it to the fast guys uh, or throw it deep to the fast guys. You know, it, it was kind of his, his comment and it's kind of tongue in cheek about, you know, you know, just the very simplified version of, you know, how you use analytics for personnel decisions and stuff like that, or, or coaching, you know, how it can inform plays, play calling. But um, it's, it's still, it's a point that, Like He wants fast guys. He wants to be able to throw the ball deep. It's not like Vrabel doesn't want to be able to do those things. I think he has built his offense around what he has available to him to work with uh, over the last four years, and I think he would probably like to do something a little bit more aggressive but has never felt like he can because of personnel limitations.
0: Well, that brings me to personnel limitations and availability to his injury comments. About blister, you could be a blister or you could be a callus. And that was very much an 8 a.m. to four p.m. comment to Vrabel, uh, from Vrabel about the some of these players. And he specifically mentions Christian Fulton and David Long, which I think we both kind of were on the fence whether Christian Fulton was or wasn't an eight a.m., four p.m. guy, but we we're clearly off the fence thinking that David Long was. But apparently, maybe these two guys specifically. Aren't really giving their all and they're kind of milking these injuries to get more time off instead of building a callus to the injuries. What did you make of those that blister versus callus comment specifically? And how does how do you think it ties in to the viewpoint of the roster and the viewpoint of Christian Fulton and David Long?
1: Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting. I and I don't know. Like the blister versus callus, you know, he's talking about, he was talking about specifically like preseason prep and stuff like that. And guys taking days off for, for little things. Um, and eventually, you know, you know, rather than letting it heal and do you know, or, or turn into a callous, um, you know, it, it's just a blister that heals and pops and heals and pops and heals and pops uh, over and over again. So it's interesting. Um, I don't know how that, you know, equates specifically to like hamstrings, which has been the bugaboo for both uh, Fulton and long. Um, But I do think training and having guys that take their conditioning and training seriously, um, both in the off season and during the season is important to Vrabel. and, And it sounds like he's calling out those two guys. And look, I, he has spoken glowingly of David long before. So I, I don't think he necessarily dislikes David long. Um, but I think he is frustrated with the fact that it's two season in a row now that a hamstring has popped up late in the season. And David long has basically gone on the shelf for a month and a half. And it is, uh, it's hard to play winning football when your best players cannot consistently be on the field. And that is the story of the 2022, uh, and 2021 Titans basically. So, um, It'll be interesting because obviously Dave Long is up for a contract uh, this offseason as far as whether he stays or goes. Um, I think he cost himself a lot of money with his hamstring injury because he was turning towards probably getting a pretty big payday uh, had he stayed productive and sit on the field. Um, and then Christian Fulton, I mean, he's up for an extension, too, at this point, because he's, you know, got one year left on his rookie deal. Uh, and it does not seem likely that that extension will be coming this off season at this point. Um, they're going to want him to show that he can stay healthy and play effective football for a full season. So it's going to go right up to free agency with him too. Um, so it's, yeah, two guys that, you know, certainly those are the two guys. When you think about like soft tissue stuff, those are the ones that have, it has come up with consistently over the last two years. Um, and they're important players, unfortunately for this team. And you'd like to see David Long back, but he needs to be back and he needs to play 17 games is, is what it comes down to. And, you know, maybe a one year contract that gives him a chance to do that and then they can reevaluate after the season makes sense for both sides. But yeah, I'd say that very interesting.
0: Well, he was specifically also asked about acquiring players with injury history which I think the word acquired, I think that was uh, Joe Rexer, but I think using that word is the right way to frame it because acquiring means both the draft and free agency which John Robinson had a penchant for doing. And Mike Vibrell is pretty honest. He said, you know, I don't know if that is always a predictor of the future, but in some cases it maybe was, in some cases it wasn't. Um, He thinks that, there, you know, to me, that says again, I've just been saddled with a bunch of injured players and players that have history or are recovering from injuries that re-injure themselves, and I'm sick of it. So I think we're gonna we're gonna see healthy, fast players, and I'm very excited. What about you?
1: Yeah, that would that would be uh, super exciting if uh, if that's what they end up getting. Um, and there's some guys in the draft, like, you know, my mind immediately obviously goes to Jalen Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt here locally, but then also like Zay Flowers from Boston college. Like to me, drafting a wide receiver with some real speed is a must in this draft. I mean, yes, they need to draft offensive linemen and get as many of those guys in the door as they can too. But if you don't, if you leave without this draft, without a, wide receiver who can really run and, and like take a top off a of defense and be more than just, you know, Khalif Raymond was could do that to a, a small degree, but you know, he, he was limited in the other areas of playing receiver. But if you could find somebody who is less limited on, on the other stuff and can also do what Khalif Raymond did, that would be a huge difference maker for this Titans uh, offense. And to me, like the Hyatt, Hyatt and Flowers are my two favorite uh, options for that, that spot. And I, I don't know if you would have to spend a first to get one of those guys or if that's a, you know, maybe trade back it to, to the end of the first or maybe you get them at the top of the second kind of, kind of players. But we'll see how the draft board starts to shake out as, as we move along this process. But those are two guys I would very much have my eye on for the Titans early on in this draft.
0: Uh oh, Mike Frabel, you know, talked in his presser and of course people overreacted about how he hadn't fired anybody yet cuz he hasn't done his exit interviews with the coaches. And then on the other side, he also kind of alluded to the fact that while decisions could come this week and they came that day on Monday, that the GM hiring may play a part in the in the process of filling out the rest of the staff. Which of course has me thinking, hmm. Because they're talking about collaboration. Well, if it's a 49ers, you know, uh, GM, or if it's a Buffalo Bills GM, could be bringing in some uh, high-quality talent. So, we know that Todd Downing got fired, obviously. That was 100% going to happen. There was no doubt in my mind for for weeks, weeks on end, no doubt in my mind that he was going to get fired. Offensive line coach Keith Carter was fired. Secondary coach Anthony Midget were fired, and offensive skill assistant um, Eric Frazier was recently fired. And the reason I want to bring this up is I want to talk about Anthony Midget and Keith Carter because I think those are really, to me, those are, like, guys that you kind of could see. You're not terribly upset. But I want to go back to a comment that Vrabel made, um, and he said, I want it to be talking about players and the identity of his football team. The same thing I've always wanted to be, smart, tough, and fast. I want it to be physical. I still think there's a degree of physicality that is required to this game in every level, like we already said. However, fundamentally sound, play with technique. And there is no better example of position groups not doing that, not playing sound, and not playing with good technique, than the offensive line who and the... Um, Defensive backfield, specifically the cornerbacks, who had problems and struggles all year long with proper technique, NPF, not being able to handle an inside rusher. (coughs) Excuse me. Then you have all the penalties that he got, the penalties Dennis Daly got. And listen, can't blame Keith Carter for Dennis Daly because Dennis Daly sucks, but you can't blame him for the lack of development with NPF. And then you go on the flip side Trey Avery, Roger McCreary just struggled. So hard with fundamentals. Even Christian Fulton struggled with fundamentals, and they all got penalties. You know themselves. I see it. I see that basically, that Vrabel's like, I got to get these guys out of here. I love you. I think you guys are great. You guys did what you could, but I got to get coaches that could do better.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with all of the firings. I mean, if you just if you look across the roster. And where they were performing the worst, these are all the areas they were performing the worst. They and the offensive line, I think maybe Keith Carter is the one that you could debate the most, um, simply because he was given nothing to work with. Because um, I'm not sure the best offensive line coach in the NFL is turning Dennis Daly into anything more than a you know smoldering heap of you know garbage, but you know. They also didn't get better. Like guys like Aaron Brewer didn't really get better over the course of the season. Um, you know, and and you also had, I think there was kind of a weird thing with Dylan Radins um, and, and Keith Carter, it seemed like where Carter seemed to be the one that was driving the, we don't think he's a, a tackle uh, train. And then finally they try him at tackle and he actually does okay. Um, and it, to me, it seemed like maybe that Carter was the reason, more so than I mean, obviously Vrabel was the ultimate decision maker and could have overruled that. But it seemed to me like the feedback Vrabel was getting from Carter was that we don't think I don't think that Raiden's can play outside, and I don't think he could play tackle. Um, and maybe maybe Raiden's can't play tackle. We, you know, we we had didn't see nearly enough of a sample size to really feel great about him uh, as a tackle or whatever. But it was better than what Dennis Daly played. Um, and the fact that they didn't try it sooner, I think, is a mark against carter um to a large degree, but um obviously downing had to go there was there was just like I, so many people were just like, oh, I guess they're going to they're going to keep downing because is a stubborn mule and all this and I'm like, how could they possibly sell downing to the fan base and and I know you don't want to always listen to the fan base, but this is a team that's trying to build a a, a brand new stadium, you know two billion dollars stadium. Uh, and trying to get that approved. They're trying to get their fan uh, their fan base to buy new, more expensive PSLs uh, and new, more expensive season tickets for this new stadium. How could you possibly spend your season selling Todd Downing to this fan base? Like, you would have nobody interested, nobody excited, no matter what they did. Like, they could go draft a, you know, Bryce Young, and I'm not sure that the fan base would have been uh, – fired up about the 2023 season with Todd Downing. So they had to get rid of him. They, there was just no choice. It it had soured way too far. Um, but to me, them getting rid of Downing and Carter gives me a little bit of hope that maybe they'll go in a different direction offensively. Because to me, from what I understand, Carter was largely largely the run game coordinator. That was not his title per se, but that was something that he functioned as. So... Uh, and I think Downing talked about, talk, you know, getting with Keith Keith Carter, getting with Tim Kelly, you know, kind of marrying the run game and the pass game concepts that they like for, for each week. So, I, to me, maybe if you are moving on from uh, Carter and Downing, maybe they're going to go in a different direction offensively. Maybe they, they'll look at some. Because
0: let's yeah. get into that because I, I am torn because this offense and the players that have been brought in are for this Shanahan-esque offense. Now, we have both said that Todd Downing does a piss-poor job of running a Shanahan offense. Um, and really, that's not Tim Kelly's forte either, Right, which kind of plays into this whole situation because I'm assuming that if betting nods were out for whoever is going to be the next offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly would be the overwhelming favorite with Bill O'Brien second. Like, I, I, that's how I kind of feel that this is going to go. Is that the best move to move away from this offense that is seemingly everywhere in the NFL and is successfully ran everywhere else in the NFL and was successfully ran here in 2019
1: and 2020? Yeah, I don't... See, the thing to me is, like, the whole personnel, they're going to have to change out probably four-fifths of the offensive line. So, to me... The Does it make be, it
0: easier to do that if they were to switch to maybe a more, I, I guess it would be gap blocking would be the other side of this. So, you know, if they go yeah. heavy gap blocking, is that is that easier to find offensive linemen that fit that?
1: Eh, I mean, it, it. I don't know. I, I would always argue that you could get by with worse offensive linemen if you're a zone scheme um from a run blocking standpoint and the titans did okay run blocking i think that kind of bared out uh for the most part this year that they just had very little talent on the offensive line but they were able to get by with this zone blocking scene but just because you're a zone blocking or a zone running team doesn't necessarily mean you have to fall into the same you know offense necessarily because even like mcveigh versus shanahan branches of of this offensive tree are different like they're, they're they've got different Element so I I hope I hope the Titans aren't necessarily married to the current offense. I think Tannehill runs it well. I think it fits Tannehill's skill set in a lot of ways. But I also think you could probably do something else with him. I mean, you, you could do you could run some other offenses with Tannehill. Um, and since you are trading out like basically the whole starting offensive line, anyways. Maybe it does make sense that hey, if you're gonna change, if you're gonna make a big change on offense, this is the year to do it because you're gonna have to teach it to you know four new starters on the offensive line, anyways, and you know, shit, you're gonna be looking at at you know you've got young guys at receiver and tight end for the most part, and you know it's not like they're baked into the system at this point with as like four year vets or anything like that. So, I think I think maybe you go. A totally different route here and and i would love to see what vrabel chooses to do i, I think that'll be very interesting and telling about the future of this franchise whether it's
0: describe you know. ryan day's offense compared to what the offense you see in the uh, with the titans currently because wouldn't you think that because he wanted ryan day at one point that maybe that is the kind of offense he's leaning towards
1: yeah, so Ryan Day is really, uh, at the end of the day, he's like a Chip Kelly disciple more than anything, and he runs kind of the power spread, um, which is a run. I mean, the fact of the matter is that all colleges run the ball more than they throw the ball. That's just, you know, the way that college football works for the most part, um, or almost. I should say almost all colleges, not, not you know, the air raid guys. But um, he runs a power spread, so they run the ball a lot. They run the ball, you know, physically downhill, all that stuff, which I think Vrabel appreciates. You know, Vrabel still wants an element of physicality, but when they do throw and, and a lot of the running is out of shotgun, that's that's kind of the big difference to me is they're going to run a lot out of the gun. Uh, they don't run as much under center, not as much, you know, traditional, um, you know, under center zone stuff that that what the Titans and Shanahan and all these other guys do. So it's more of a gun power run scheme. And then on, in the passing game, you know, they're going to spread it out and throw the ball around a little bit. So in, and they, you know, they marry it all up, you know, so that you get, um, you know, your personnel packages and everything like that, you're versatile and, and things like that. But that is the biggest difference is it's going to be mostly in the gun. It's still going to have a, a power run element, but you're going to be a little bit more spread out in the passing game.
0: All right, let's get into some candidates real quick. Uh, Tim Kelly, obviously, like we said, overwhelming favorite. Bill O'Brien is also probably going to be thrown in there just because of, you know, past ties with, you know, Vrabel in New England and such like that. Yeah. I think I'm at this point where I don't like either of these guys, but... but you know, specifically in the year, I've been very pro Tim Kelly. Just get him a chance to maybe pull something out of his ass. But at this point, we don't know in this offense, but in behind the scenes, what a passing game coordinator actually does for Mike Vrabel. But if he was if it's true to the title, we have to just take into account the passing game sucked. It was now, bad. It was bad. What he's responsible for versus what Todd Downing was responsible for, what the the personnel allows you to do, up in the air. At this point, I would rather... I'd like to see Tom Kelly or Tim Kelly have been let go at some point. That way, it gives me a little bit more comfort. But you can't bring in Bill O'Brien... To come back and work with tim kelly in my mind i like it's gotta be one or the other i don't think both can coexist unless they have patched things up because bill o'brien basically fired tim kelly and threw him under the bus and did all this stuff so you, you obviously can't have both
1: yeah i i'm i'm a, souring a bit on tim kelly as like the guy um because i i just i was excited when they brought him in um as far as like you know, hey, this guy—he's got some other ideas. He's not necessarily just a, you know, you know, Shanahan disciple type. You know, um, so I, I thought maybe he'd bring some other elements to the, to the offense, but nothing really showed. And look, PK has talked about this consistently all season that whenever he's been out of practice, Tim Kelly has been basically working with the tight ends, and he views him as like a glorified tight ends coach. Now, when they go in the building. That may be different. Like it may be that Tim Kelly does work with the tight ends at practice because they had a young tight ends coach and uh, uh, Luke Steckel. But uh, when they go in the building, Tim Kelly is more involved in the the actual design of the passing game, picking out things, you know, scheming, whatever. That's entirely possible, and all you know, maybe it's likely. Um, frankly, but. I just, I wish they would go in a different direction. I, I think going outside of the comfort zone a little bit, you know, and and people will balk at it because he was not successful as a head coach, but I would like them to go get Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, I think Cliff King- Kingsbury is a good uh, offensive mind. I think he's a good play call- caller. I, I think he's been given. You giving- think
0: he's a good play caller? Because that's where I, I kind of struggle a little bit with his play calling feel. Like, I think that the, it's the sequel scene and stuff like that. That's where I kind of am. Uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I think I would like to see him here. Cause I, I think his offensive, his offenses have always been pretty successful. I mean, this year was not great because of the, um, you know, basically he was without new Hopkins for the first six games of the season. And then he was without Kyler Murray for the last what five or six. um, and I think he missed a few games, even in in between there too. So, it, to me, Kingsbury had no shot this year because you know the, he was in the same same position that the Titans were in a large degree because there were just no per, no personnel out there for the Cardinals. Colt McCoy and uh, you know uh, Robbie Anderson, dime, you know. Um, so I would definitely be in on on Kingsbury. I think the fact that Brable had Kingsbury here last year for a joint practice. Vrabel tends to do that with guys that he knows and respects. He does have a history with Kingsbury. They were teammates in New England very briefly, but Kingsbury's year in New England as a backup quarterback got him his jumpstart into coaching. He, he is considered to be very, very bright by Bill Belichick, uh, by people that are, that Vrabel in the circle of coaches that he comes from and that he knows, He Kingsbury is respected. Um, so to me, that seems to be a guy that would make a lot of sense. Um, and then other guys, you know, I think Brian Johnson, the the quarterback coach, uh, for the Eagles, would be a guy I'd like to, them to talk to. That maybe my favorite candidate would be Brian Callahan from the Bengals, who has been a hot coaching name for a long time. Is not the play caller for Cincinnati because Zach Taylor still handles that. Um, so that would be the situation where, kind of like with Lafleur, where he was offensive coordinator uh by title but he was not a play caller so you can interview him and offer him a play calling offensive to offensive coordinator position and he may want to take it you know that may be like the last thing he feels like he needs to get on his resume before he goes and, and takes head coaching job um, bring his dad in for offensive
0: line coach
1: exactly i mean yeah if he could do that if we could take that combo i would 100 in a heartbeat take that one um but again like that would be another the floor situation where He's probably going to be head coach in a year or two. Um, so
0: well, you had Bears offensive line coach Chris Morgan on here, yeah. and I find that extremely odd. Why did that name pop up on your radar where the offensive line was pretty terrible for the the Chicago Bears?
1: Well, the Bears were able to run the shit out of the ball this year. they were They were one of the best rushing offenses in the NFL, and I think that's that's a big part of uh what Morgan did for them um but he also, I mean, he, he was previously with uh, the Falcons um, and he was offensive line coach there uh, for the Falcons. And this was during uh, the Shanahan heyday uh, era of the Falcons. So again, if you want to stay within this Shanahan uh, framework of the offense, Chris Morgan's going to be a guy that's got a lot of skins on the wall from that standpoint. He was also with Shanahan in Washington back before then. So, he is a Shanahan guy. Like he is a Shanahan disciple. Um and, you know, having dealt with a little bit different offense this, you know, this year with the Bears, um obviously designing this run game for Justin Fields. I think that's an interesting skill set uh for him as, as an offensive coordinator uh candidate. So, I I do like um Chris Morgan a good bit. I've heard good things about him from, you know, people that are connected uh, or read good things about him from people that are connected and, you know, kind of the, because that's the tough thing with all these assistant coaches, right. And projecting them forward. Cause people will also ask like, well, who do you think they should hire for a uh, secondary coach? I have no fucking clue. I have no fucking clue. Cause once you get down below a certain level, it's so hard to even know anything about any of these guys because just, there's no information out there. Like there's not interviews. There's not, you know, you could, the, The best way to get information is from like very, very deeply sourced reporters finding out who teams are talking about as like rising star kind of coaches. Um, So I I don't have any idea on position coaches, but, you know, you look at a guy like Chris Morgan, his background, who he's coached under. I like the coaches that he's kind of cut his teeth under and would likely be modeling in an offensive coordinator role.
0: The uh, that that's interesting, but and I think a name that I didn't think about. I did think about this other name, but the first name Todd Monkin, didn't even cross my mind because I forgot that he was he even existed, even though that he's in Georgia going crazy and he's yeah. proven that he's a good play caller in the NFL as well. And then you also have Joe Brady, which on the flip side, really great in college, not a great play caller in the NFL. So I'm, I'm very curious. Obviously get why you like Todd Monk, and I think he should be on the radar. I think he'll be a hot commodity for many NFL teams needing no scene, maybe a few teams that need a head coach. But Joe Brady, why is this guy coming back into our lives here? Is it just because that they have shown interest before? He's just, he doesn't seem like a guy that's very good at the pro level. Am I too harsh on him?
1: It, it's kind of a tough, tough thing with Joe Brady. Cause I mean, he was the super hot name when he went down to LSU and had that crazy season. But now like looking back on it, we lo- also look at that and go, look, those guys were wildly talented, like <laughs> just insanely talented uh, at LSU that year. Um, but you know, he goes to Carolina, he had nothing to work with. I mean, again, like we're talking about a guy who was stuck with like, you know what they had like old cam newton uh there one of those years that he was there um they had no no real like talent outside of dj moore and christian mccaffrey who's always you know hurt for half a season um you know it didn't it didn't work out that well in carolina obviously um but then he goes to buffalo so he's been with buffalo since he got uh can from the the offensive coordinator role in carolina and he's been working under um Obviously, uh, what's his name? Who's now with the Giants? uh, Brian Dable. Brian Dable, and then this year under um, uh, Ken Dorsey. So I like that he's been in Buffalo. Um, He's he's shown the ability to be be a good play caller before. Because even with all that talent at LSU, you still have to call the plays. You still have to put them in position to be successful. And it's not like they had wild success offensively the previous year at LSU before he arrived. And Joe Burrow was the starter of the previous year. And and I think, you know, Jamar Chase was there. Uh, T or uh, not T Higgins. Um, Justin Jefferson had been there before. So he took those guys to another level, in my opinion. And I think sometimes a guy is just better at a job the second time around. Um, you know, you learn what works, what didn't work. And maybe he comes in here and, and can do a lot better job uh, in Tennessee. So I, I think he at least we were talking to and seeing where he where you would want to take this offense.
0: Uh, I, I'm going to throw a name out there that I quote tweeted your, your list that we just ran through with uh, Thomas Brown, who is a hot name. Who's who has been on my radar for the last year, a year and a half. And he's a hot name. Um, big McVay guy, big guy in NFL circles that everybody seems to talk about one about the, as a future head coach, he's the current assistant head coach and running backs coach for the um la rams and i think he's an intriguing option if you're looking to bring in someone to try to get the offense back on track and has as an assistant head coach he's privy to a lot of meetings to a lot of the other stuff that is going on behind the scenes while he has not has no play calling experience from everything i've read and watched about thomas Brown. It seems like to me that whoever gives them the shot at at least an offensive coordinator is going to have a future head coach come from their staff, which, by the way, comp picks. But I think that you're talking about a guy that will really help this team. I I love that he comes from the running back side of things, but I love that he was promoted to assistant head coach almost immediately upon being hired by the L.A. Rams because he's only been with the L.A. Rams for three seasons.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that um, as far as getting an up and coming head coach. I, I, I like that to a certain degree, but I it, it does worry me a little bit that they, if they're going to be in this situation where they're constantly turning through uh, offensive coordinators. Now, I think like there's pluses, like if you're consistently losing offensive coordinators to head coaching roles, then they're probably doing a pretty great job for you while you're there uh, or while they're, uh, you know, with that. That offensive coordinator job, so I think that's a plus. But part of me does like that's part of what I kind of like about Kingsbury too. Just going back to him for a second is that he's probably not getting another head coaching job anytime soon. I think he's kind of shown he's not a great head coach, but he might just be a better offensive coordinator. Um, and so maybe he sticks, and maybe he's like the McDaniel's to you know Rabels Belichick here long term. Um, so that's one one thing that kind of appeals to me about a Kingsbury or even a Bill O'Brien, like, you know, it'd be real hard for me to see um, someone giving him another, like, you know, head coaching job anytime soon. Um, That's kind of appealing to me, but, but I will say, you know, Thomas Brown is an interesting name. Um, I do like the idea of, of giving him that opportunity. And
0: better uh, to have a coach for an extremely awesome coach for two years and eventually gets hired by someone else. than to have an average coach for 15 years.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. You would rather get the best coach possible and worry about if they get hired.
0: Yeah. Later. But I did think it was interesting in the press conference by Vrabel, which we haven't talked about, his comments about putting his trust in the staff and staff basically coaches not keeping their head elsewhere, and keeping their head inside the building. I thought that was a little interesting, basically that they're not looking for other job opportunities, which I think is going to be interesting about this offensive coordinator hire. I thought that was really telling. The last one on the list, and I want to bring this up just because I want to make fun of someone that was in your replies. You tweeted, I wouldn't be opposed to O'Brien, but he's not necessarily my preferred choice. Definitely think Tim Kelly's the most likely option, though I'm not sure I'd love that either. Fully agree. Reich would be great, but I think he ends up in Jacksonville or Philly if he doesn't get a head coaching job. So you said Reich would be great. Right underneath this quote, right underneath this tweet, Ry- at Ryan J. Paradise says, if Reich doesn't land in Jacksonville or Philly, would you like him here? Hello. You literally said he would be great. <laughs> like, what were you thinking here? Yeah,
1: hey, I'm, I'm not Regardless,
0: sure. you, you think Reich would be great. You're a big Reich believer. I like Reich as an offensive coordinator. I think he's one of those guys that maybe is kind of like Mike Zimmer or Norv Turner, where they're better coordinators and they are head coaches. So, Where would you put this chance, this Frank Reich? Because that is the big name. Because he was obviously everybody knows him from the Colts, everybody knows him from the Eagles. And that's like the most popular fan name, I feel like, is Frank Reich. That's the one that gets thrown out a lot.
1: Yeah. and, And look, to me, it's just, it's less likely that he ends up here. Because if, if Shane Steichen gets a head coaching job, who is currently the Eagles' offensive coordinator, and I think he will, um, Frank Reich seems like a slam dunk to go back to Philly and work under um, uh, that staff over there. And and can like, you go I mean,
0: and work under someone that was working under you?
1: I think he would because you know unless he's going to get a head coach job somewhere else. I mean, which I think I think he'll get interviews for head coaching jobs. I'm not sure if he'll land one or not. Um, but I would I would be shocked if if Shane Steichen. Gets ahead coaching job and Frank Reich does not. I would be shocked if Frank Reich does not end up in Philadelphia because he, he and Nick Sirianni have a ton of respect for each other. Um, I think Sirianni would be begging him to come work there uh and take that over. And obviously it's a great opportunity with a ton of talent. I mean, why would why would he not uh want to go back there at this point? And then the other one, like Jacksonville, I would say, you know, there's there's certainly an opportunity you would think for peterson to try to recruit him back to jacksonville even if it's just as a you know even if it's not as the offensive coordinator because the, they they do have an offensive coordinator who's done you know i would say a pretty decent job this year um but
0: kind of like if, a jim schwartz kind a, of role where he get yeah, like yeah, yeah. you get to do something we'll just
1: keep on it. the staff he can help you know that that kind of thing you know I, I think I think Reich would probably do that because it's like the the relationships. You know, he has the relationships with Doug Peterson. He has the relationship with Nick Sirianni, uh, and the Eagles organization. Obviously, um, he has a relationship with Vrabel. I think they have mutual respect. But why would why would he choose to come here versus those two places, which have like you know their quarterbacks are set for the future. They have uh, you know some receiving talent. They've got a, you know competent offensive line play there would be no reason for him to want to come here over either of those two spots where he has pre-existing relationships anyway. So um, I just, it would, I just think it's highly unlikely that Reich ends up as the offensive coordinator for the Titans. So I would just put it out of your, out yeah. of your mind. Right?
0: I now. agree too. And we're a big no on Nathaniel Hackett. This is an anti Nathaniel Hackett podcast. 100%. It, yeah, and there's, there's no reason to bring Nathaniel Hackett here. Uh, that will do it for the big news cycle wrap-up. If you're a Broadway insider, we appreciate all the guys that and ladies that came in to the chat and hung out with us. Um, we we're brought to you by Jasper's, Next Evolution Sports Bar over on West End. Two for one beers on Sunday. Go watch it. There are hockey, they're in a Nashville Predators headquarters, so go watch them there. Uh, Mike, you're going to be writing about what this week on PodCarsey.com.
1: I'm going to be writing. Uh, I'm going to be writing about the GM and 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 offensive coordinator uh, searches and and where those where I, I like some of the, some of what I talked about here, but I'll get a little bit deeper into gotcha. That stuff. and.
0: Gotcha. That will be over at paulkarski.com. Go get membership over there. You can follow him on Twitter at mike Kerndon nfl. My name is Zach Lines. You can follow me on Twitter at effortspod. You can read my works over at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Big announcement of being made on the football show. If you're listening to this on today, or if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Thursday, 1 p.m., big announcements are going to be made. You should tune in live for those announcements. It'll be really good for you guys to tune in. I would greatly appreciate it. But this is football and other F words. I'm Zach. He's Mike. You have just been effed.